Steve. What's up, dude? A Healthy Dose is a bi-weekly podcast hosted by Steve Kraus, healthcare partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, and Trevor Price, CEO of Oxian Partners. Funny talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. The guys talk to leaders from various aspects of healthcare and cover personal stories, entrepreneurship, investing, and have a few laughs, many at each other's expense. Well, we both enjoy the art of the conversation. We both have faces that are made for radio. So the- At least eyebrows for me. <laughs> Double chin for me. <laughs> we get a lot of ones right, but we get a lot of ones wrong. One of the most interesting conversations I've had in a long time. If you pardon me, I'd like to say got to spend an hour and a half with Jonathan Bush. That guy is probably one of the most well-known, one of the most controversial figures in our sector, but I really admire him. I mean, it's so few people in the world, let alone in healthcare IT in the world, who can literally start a company the day after business school, grow it, pivot it, right, which we'll hear about, grow it to take it public, to one of the leading companies in the space, right? And fight off a seriously professional activist. Fight off a serious professional activist. Keep his job. Keep his job. Keep bring control in an the executive, company. Bring in a chairman of Jeff Immelt's stature. And continue to push an industry, which frankly you and I, and we talk about all the time, needs to be freaking pushed, you know, several decades in the future, right? I mean, he is the one person out there who continues to say healthcare IT is ridiculous where and it is And he today. does it with a level of irreverence and humor and, and intellect. And intellect that yeah. very, very, very few yeah. public company yeah. CEOs. I, 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 uh, it's pretty astounding. I really admire him. I think he opened up to us on this podcast, which I really enjoyed. I didn't know whether he, he shed would. a tear. Yeah, he you shed a tear. You remember talking about, 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 story. Yeah, about his uncle. Secret Service agent. Yep. Talked about you know how he's learned to mature as an executive. I think there's just a lot of learnings here. I for just think it was awesome. I really appreciate him taking the time. He's a busy dude right now. Hang out with us. Hey, by the way, he said, as I was leaving, he said to his PR person, he's like, this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, cool, let's trade jobs. You can do my podcast. I'll be down the bush. It was very fun. We are sitting here post-Super Bowl in Watertown, Massachusetts. This has been scheduled how many times now? I'm only aware of the one time. I'm, I think it's a couple I'm times. Claiming we finally get a date with the one Jonathan Bush, and he and has only. been run over by the cold truck. Yes. I want you to know that I was not going to let this move, and I <laughs> totally literally I consumed a shelf at CVS an hour ago. So <laughs> everything is, this is, I am soaring six feet above this couch <laughs> as we sit here. It's a perfect time to have this podcast. Yes, yes, right? yeah. You will get a level of candor that I myself will not recognize. <laughs> All right, well, we've got a lot to cover, and, and we want to actually start with the current state of Athena. Athena's been in business for how long? 21 years. 21 years. Was yeah. Last year was 2017, June the most complex. The day after graduation from HBS was June 6th, and the next day on the lawn of 94 Codman Road, we had our first team meeting. A birthing business. It was going to revolutionize practice management. We were going to be the management infrastructure that helps make women's health work the women's way it should. Health, yeah. That was our mission. Management and that was who, you and? Me and Todd. I felt like since we were so not credible, we needed a lot of things to look like they were in place. So I needed a full management team. And uh, I was just basically doing casting. We had our CTO, we had our chief product 
officer or senior vice president of service. We had, uh, we had the, the commander and commander of allied no? forces come to Europe, Jeremy Trellstad. Uh, how old were you? He was our this? office manager. How old are you? Yeah, how old? Well, 94, so 25. So right after business school. You have funding for the business or no? No, uh, Todd and I, we're going to put 50,000 each of our own money. You can imagine the great Dr. Park, the only guy in history of Dow Chemical to have as many patents as the original Dr. Dow, to be told that his son would be not using the carefully saved graduate school, you know, PhD funding, but instead would be doing birthing centers with (laughs) a wacky wasp from (laughs) Boston. Uh, I don't know how he did it. They're very loyal parents and fiercely supportive and they just like gritted their teeth. Turned out to be a good investment for them. It worked out okay, worked out okay, yeah. He bought himself all kinds of luxuries, like working for Obama and other things that are expensive. Did, did you well. feel the pressure of having all these people? Like, did that ever oh, hit God, you yeah. at night? You're you know, like, what, what the, the fuck am I, I doing? I don't know how Bernie Madoff felt, but imagine a Bernie Madoff with a super ego. I mean, you had imposter syndrome in other I, words? I totally did. And I'm like, God, what if this goes down? And what, you know? And I was very careful to say, listen, I, I think I can get you enough money to pay your visa off you know, each month, but this is only gonna matter if it works and it probably won't work. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna just have an incredible time trying. And that was always the pitch. Did you, you know? go into business school knowing that you wanted to start a company? Absolutely, I applied. I said, I'm your affirmative action candidate. You should take me. I am going to start a healthcare business. I'm a healthcare entrepreneur. Oh, I was the number one healthcare entrepreneur applying to Harvard Business School that year, by which I mean, I was the, the only, only one. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest. But I basically said, I'm going to change maternity care. I'm going to do it with you or without you. So let me ask you a question, because I think, you know, I don't, I don't kiss a lot of people's butt, but you are, by my definition at least, the most successful healthcare IT entrepreneur of the last two decades. Okay, so let's start there. But yet your first business model objectively failed and you pivoted. Yeah. Wait, so, wait, so wait, wait, no, wait, hold on, wait. let me, let me finish right His first business model is what everyone's trying to do today. Okay, right. That's that's right. Let's, let's he's, say, he's 25, right. Years, I know, he's 25 I know. years early. Was that, was t- that was the team meeting. Guys, we're right. But we're early, so all you midwives, put on the blue hats. <laughs> Everyone else put <laughs> well, on the red hats. Well, talk to me, because like, a, <laughs> a, a lot of our, I agree with that. That's right, that's actually fair. It was too early. But a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs. Talk about and the- a lot of them are like, early. I yeah, promise. Right. So I'm going to do a machine learning Bitcoin. What the fuck are you saying, kid? But talk to me about the pivot moment. How did you uh, make- Running out of cash was very helpful. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing that I had focuses the mind left. like cash. I had one venture capitalist left that I had not, I mean, the other thing is basically we were a PPM, a physician practice management company, in the year following the explosion of med partners and five core and coastal like, all those companies Literally, like up, yeah. if you want to create Right. A panic in a crowded theater of venture capitalists in 1997. You don't Follow say fire. You say PPM. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, run for the exits and exactly claw, right, you know, yeah. through each other's Kenneth Cole square-toed shoes. What am I wearing right now? I'm okay. No, yeah, that was back in 97. I, don't think, I think Kenneth is dead now. I, I haven't seen him in years. Now we're wearing these uh, sneakery things. Yeah, we're you guys look so pretending cool. Pretending to be casual while we stress ourselves out and take anxiety pills. So... We had that problem. Running out of cash. And, and I running out of cash. The clinical model was working. The service model. We actually grew market share, grew our top line birth cases 50% a year for two years. Our last year, the run rate, we were at a 3,300 case run rate, 3,300 babies. So wow. 15%, yeah. wow. 13% of all babies in San Diego. And growing like mad. People liked it. Were you making money on the gain share? Uh, we were growing broke. We sucked down the cash. So we spent on the model 
delivered the clinical results, but were bleeding out as we tried to negotiate getting our bonus checks back. And we thought, well, all this will be no big deal. Once we prove the model, we'll go raise a lot of money. We'll go get our insurance license. We'll raise enough capital to underwrite. But that was our problem. And so, you know, I found this one last guy who, he was an investor from Dallas, Texas. He had been given a small fortune to manage by an oil man who had done well in oil field services. And so he thought to diversify, you He's know, do he would stay, do health care. And I was like, perfect. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> He's a hick from Dallas. So I bring him to the thing. I give him the tour. I show him the numbers. And he's like, boy, I really like what you got here. But, uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to get these doctors to listen to these midwives. And I don't think you're going to get those payers to give you the money. But I'll tell you what. I'll give you $11 million if you give me an unlimited license to AthenaNet. And I'm like, what's AthenaNet? You know, AthenaNet. The thing, the computer thing that's all in all your offices. It was a website, and Eddie had called it Athena. And it was a website that we yeah. were using to just track first prenatal visits and anything we needed to do. You're like, Eddie, done. You know, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> let me get back to you. you know, and I quietly backed my business plan into the shredder and uh, got my team together and said, good news and bad news. We're well, an internet company. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we found something that will make it through. Did you take and his, it was did, the did, thing. Did you take his money? No, he wanted the whole thing. He wanted the unlimited license. He, so he wanted, wanted to take thing. it as a tool and build something got it. else. That was the aha moment for you. It was. Wow. It was. If you kept in touch I, with that I got guy. his name. It's in the book I wrote. By he the way, he might listen uh, to a healthy dose. That'd be awesome. He might be on. I <laughs> well, he now know. knows yeah. that he's a hick yeah. and has yeah. a really yeah, bad exactly. southern rock. No, yeah. the point is he wasn't a hick. He was dead on balls <laughs> accurate, and I was the hick, right? I mean, don't, so this don't was '97, and everything everything was becoming an internet company, and so he was he was jumping on that train, right? He probably was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't following it, but yeah, yes. you were birthing babies. Exactly. A lot easier. So we, Todd and I, broke up, and we, I mean, we didn't break up. We split up. Todd, go get groups that want to use AthenaNet, just AthenaNet. No birth. He's like, but what about the birth center? What about the women's health design? Can we can we do the design build? You know, I'm like, nope. Sell software. Only thing you can do is things. You can do any service you want if it goes through that window, <laughs> if it goes through that pane of glass. So he ended up doing a lot of services because we wanted to really run everything, right? Right. And so he went out and, and made deals that looked more and more like revenue cycle management. He did five deals. He didn't finalize the contract, but he got five letters of intent in literally three months. Five, if we could have a sales guy do five deals yeah, right. you know, with all of our credibility. These are multi-physician groups, right? Is yeah, that... Well, four docs. And these guys had... These, these were practices that were deciding between death and dishonor, and this brilliant guy comes in and shows them how the internet can help their, save their practice. But just to ground the listeners, I assume this is a point where these practices were doing on their own. They were doing RevCycle on their own, I assume, mm. in-house. I don't remember, I mean, you know, still today, you either buy enterprise software, you know, right. DIY, and you have a nephew or a consulting firm and you right. set it up, or you hire a kind of a traditional BPO, you know, some sort of billing service where Gladys comes in the Chevette, takes the super bills, you know, drives downtown, you know, punches a man or scans a man or whatever. But that was how we got started, was that guy and, and running out of cash. Can I ask one question? Because I want to stick in this era. You're now a CEO of a very scaled company. But at uh, one point, you were an entrepreneur. Never I guess you'd probably say you're always an entrepreneur. But what makes you a great entrepreneur? Well, I, I don't know if we'll, we'll see whether I'm great. Well, you're know. definitely a great entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, sw I'm sticking with it. Like Bernie Madoff, the pyramid continues to, you know, <laughs> rumble along. Um, so entrepreneurship is about filling a need that people didn't know they had, fundamentally. There are rational, active players that once a need is articulated and identified, anybody can fill it. 
And so I think entrepreneurs, my experience of all of our early entrepreneurial buddies is they were outcasts growing up. So they needed to find, you know, so the trifecta, you know, sports, grades, and uh, looks, you know, Todd had grades. I mean, holy Moses. But none of us were what I would call sort of, you know, we weren't Jeff Immelt, right? Great grades, great looking guy, Dartmouth football team, just the most marvelous, big, huge, we were these weirdos, theater, you know, club yeah. and uh, debate, debate, Republican <laughs> at Reslian, you know, oh, gross, you know. But the result is that distance, you know, you could you could observe in a way that when you're in the mill, when you're in the game, you're you know, you're working on your stroke and trying to stay with the pack. You focus. You can't pan back. So I think that if entrepreneurship is fundamentally about identifying and filling needs that people didn't know they had because otherwise the rational actors would just fill the yeah, needs. Right. Yeah. Good entrepreneur, though, has a group of people who have families and mortgages and lives and watches their company run out of money in their current business and is able to keep that entity together and survive. You know, small business leadership, I think of as a slightly different thing from entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship really, to me, is about identifying those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, needs and sneaking up and filling them, You know, getting your snout in at the trough before the other piggies realize there's an opening. Leadership is about alignment, right? Getting people to succumb to something larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Finding something that is credibly larger than themselves, modeling succumbing, and hopefully every once in a while getting a glimmer of a reward for doing so. Who I mean, taught you that? Was that innate? or I think I'm looking back and deciding that. I don't know if someone taught me that. I mean, lots of people taught me that. I just don't think anybody used that line. No specific mentor well, I, taught I you in I those mean, look, tough times. I, I had George H.W. Bush as, yeah. as a mentor. I mean, he had to be a mentor, my dad's brother. But talk about a guy who, you know, modeled sublimating himself to something larger than himself and modeling joy from that. You know, actually got glimmers of great joy. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you as a kid, this can be weird, but the most powerful image I have from my childhood, a lot of them are related to my uncle. One was when he was the head of the CIA. My grandmother's house was on one side of this cove in Maine, and he had a house on the other side of the cove in Maine. And when he was head of the CIA, he had this big black dude named Mr. C. Uh, he would call him C, and he was always somewhere just around the, you know, somewhere in the heart. And I was like, wow, you know, that guy, Mr. C, is there to protect my uncle. And um, I got Mr. C alone at one point. I said, you know, my brother said that your job was to jump in front of someone shooting my uncle. He said, yep. And he said, would you do that? He said, yep. And I said, but why? He said, because it's bigger than just me. Wow. Wow. Leadership is about modeling that notion and sublimating yourself. That notion of sacrifice for something larger than ourselves is is a very powerful and healing thing. And, And I think good leaders do that. They do it in the military and in the church and in the... I don't mean to make an unnecessary connection, but one of the things I've always marveled about you in this industry, someone described you as like this guy, and now, okay, so fast forward, now you're a leader of a large company in this industry. And it feels like you're always trying to shake up the industry. And sometimes I'd imagine that that's not actually beneficial to your own economic interest of Athena. And so I'm curious, is that like to draw a connection? I mean, is that you trying to do something that's larger than yourself and Athena? Is that yeah. part of who you are now? Yeah, we need to find a way always to 
be at the tip of something vastly larger than ourselves, right? So as businesses get bigger, the biggest deal to me for the CEO is the ratio of unplowed fields to plowed fields, to wide open spaces to crowded spaces. If we're winning in a crowded space, it almost doesn't matter. If you're winning in a crowded space and you have no more spaces to go, sell. Yeah. Sell the business while there's still room to grow. A bunch of operators can come in, do better than a wackadoodle dyslexic, you know, getting margins, and get the shareholder what they deserve. It only matters, it only is allowed to remain independent in a rational society if what you are doing well done is game stakes to another grander, bigger thing. If you are doing something to enable some larger thing, then those short-term rationality metrics don't matter as much. So what is Athena doing on that front? I mean, it's, it's oh, fun well. to talk about it, but So, what? you know, we start with the doctor, yep. just like Bloomberg started with the trader. They're right? wasting all this time We're, doing bullshit, and you guys- They hate it, yeah. right? They suck at it, and they hate it. And they take it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. If we do it right, we end up owning that Kanban card of medicine, that clinical referral. Our ability to replicate what the people downstream of the doctor have to do should be unbelievably synergistic, right? If I'm a hospital or a lab or a pharmacy, but I've got, I can actually look inside all the data and be inside the doctor's exam room virtually, capturing everything I need exactly right, right? If I can virtualize the relationship between the sender and the receiver, it's just a whole different game. It's not that Athena's entering the hospital system space, it's that Athena is ending the notion of hospital systems and creating one single Network. So let's nail this down for a second because I want to talk about the evil empire being epic. And not the evil empire. Just like hospitals are not the evil empire. They're dutiful winners of a prior game. Right. That was exactly my point is if they're going to own the hospital space. And at, at some point in time, Athena talked about trying to compete with Epic and Cerner in the hospital space. But you basically, what I've just heard you say is you're just leapfrogging the hospital That's space. That's how analysts read it because they're trying to do comparables. And, you know, we're trying to liquefy clinical data, right? and make it about each encounter. So the hospital shouldn't have to buy a system. The hospital shouldn't have to upgrade a system and build a department and everything else. You know, this is, we've got square. We're, we're used to the idea of everything being kind of a real time moment, you know, certify that you're you, certify that you're allowed. I'll go check in the cloud for, um, you know, verification of that and we're done. But you've taken the role of data advocate. She's taken the role of data controller in large part, right? Well, yeah, it's purposeful. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the, um, I mean, we're both advocates, right? I think she's advocates for her customers. Her customers are typically the upper right quadrant, you know, the top, top players. They have the best prices. They have a lot of the way you preserve having good prices. You make sure it's really hard to not refer to anyone else. And she works dutifully for her customers. I don't think she's, first of all, I don't think that's wrong. So. I think Epic and Cerner, they're clearly the winners in the enterprise software game. You know, one's for quiche eaters and one's for meat eaters, but basically they won and they should win and I'll never beat them and I don't want to. And you're just jumping past it. I just think that the next thing is that the data will be liquid. I want doctors to end up with just a lot more patient flow and a lot less administrative cruft if they're on our network. So three big news items, I think really already in 2018, related to the use of data to do interesting things in healthcare. I'd love your perspective on all three and, and how they relate to Athena. You got the Apple news about the personal health record. You've got JP Morgan, Amazon, and Berkshire Hathaway creating one big honking self-insured employer. And you have Optum, the little quiet engine 
that could buying healthcare partners. The little boy that bought the world. Yeah. Yeah. Which one of those do you think has the biggest long-term impact on the industry? Or none of them, maybe. Huh. Okay, let's go back. Apple. Yep. JP Morgan doing LeapFrog and United buying everything. Um, I'm going to go with Apple. I think that has the most long-term impact. Why? Because it is... So, to me, the tipping point, the, the finger in the dike that when it comes out changes the game is the liquefying of data, the organizing of data around a patient rather than around a particular location of care. So systems of record today for a location of care are also charts of record for the patient, which doesn't make any sense because the patient shows up in more than one place and there's a positional advantage that's unfair to the patient. I don't think anybody's doing it to be mean or inappropriate, but what Apple is doing is they're using, as all great innovations in medicine in this era of weirdly, you know, there's no price elasticity of demand because there's this blockage of the third-party payer, right? So convenience, activatable convenience, becomes the primary actuator arm of what would have otherwise been a price-based innovation. You know, it's, it's a convenience-based innovation. That's what gave us retail clinics that are, that yeah. are cheaper or urgent, urgent cares, care, yeah. right? Virtual, like uh, right, telemed, right? Yeah, yeah. All of those are cheaper are, you know, and, and should have blown up multiples of their current but the size pay, by but now. But the individual doesn't really feel it. I <laughs> the agree. Yeah, yeah. doesn't work. So I agree you know, no provider gets more patients if they cut their price right. and no provider loses patients if they raise their price. So right. nothing's on sale, right? right? So it's convenience. And what Apple's done is say, aha, convenience, huh? So let me push you on this because I actually totally agree with this and I've said this and Trevor's heard me say this. I agree with Apple and maybe Amazon, but let's stick with Apple. So what they're doing first as reported is a PHR. Yep. Right, and what and the I, thing I, that I, never worked for anyone. Right, so right. T- so walk me. So down when the I path get when I finally got my moment at the Fortune whatever whatever, and I corner Marissa Meyer yeah. when she's doing Google Health, and I'm like, nobody wants to type up their own chart. The idea of a place with a password that you go into to type that you're sick, so you can open it up later and see, oh my God, I'm sick, is not a thing. You need to get the guts of the chart. You need to find something in there from somewhere else that you didn't I agree with know. That. She's like, I know what you mean. We're going through some changes. You know, stay, you know, Here's my email, whatever, whatever. And the next thing you know, she's gone off to Google and it got rid of the thing. Right. But what is going on with Apple as a result of new standards and frankly, as a result of a lot of the work that we've done, you know, we were the ones behind that Healthcare Cures Act, making it illegal to be an information blocker. Mm-hmm. And we've built out now 75% of the Epic installed base is connected to it, the internet, 35% of the Cerner installed base. And we can pretty much add any hospital we set our sights on with the law and the technology that exists, we can get most of medicine now and we can connect to that Apple So the data, the data is pushed there now rather than having So you, if you get onto Apple and you log onto that Athena widget, you get everything. Right. You know, whereas the alternative is you go, go onto the Apple thing and you go find, you know, XYZ Medical Center and get whatever's right, at that right. one medical center. Right, but take me here. So I totally agree with that. This time's different because the technology standards have changed and there's more liquidity. And there's an orientation towards getting the data, the guts of the data. Right, but what's the killer app, right? Because, you know, the mobile phone is super powerful, nice pricey real estate screen, but Uber works because we take cabs a lot, right? What in healthcare? The killer app is the appointment, right? The appointment. Yeah. If in that PHR, the next thing is, and now what would you like? I'd like an appointment. appointment. Yeah, I'd like an appointment. Oh, in three weeks on Wednesday at 432? Or some new entrant shows up and says, how about now on FaceTime, right? So what they will do is oh, so liquefy. You think telemed's a killer app. Well, or appointment. No, the ability to shop in a credible way, right? I think this has been a really important part of the conversation. 
you know, we're 2018. So 2028, you think Apple's really here in healthcare as opposed to last time? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think that what they're doing is relevant in healthcare. I think it's relevant to selling phones. I don't think they become a player. I don't think there's like Apple EMR, you know. I just think that consumers are going to want to see and have analyzed. It's going to be an app shit. on the phone. It's going to help them sell yeah. more phones, and, have and, more and, and really, it's going to be a feed that app developers will build on top of. So Athena Well is our app, right? Imagine how much more we could do with Athena Well if instead of getting it, getting the patient data feed through AthenaNet, we could get you know, millions of people that aren't connected to AthenaNet. We've only got 105 million of the, what, 350 million Americans. That idea, and you know, forget us, we have a very fortunate strategic positioning to build apps from, but the average bearer who's got a better idea than us and more passion than us or whatever it is, that they could plug into a re medical record feed from the whole country without doing any work other than paying the 20% ticker to Apple? 2017 has to be one of the most unique years you've gone through as a CEO. It's either unique or it's not. Okay. My mother's an English Nazi. Okay. Um, and yes, it was unique. Okay. There are no other 2017s yes. in my history. Yes. Talk to us about it. Well, you remember in the beginning of this when I kind of shuddered a little, you said, oh, you're the best entrepreneur or whatever. The worst thing an entrepreneur can do is read their own press, right? Or start to, I mean, that hubris is so toxic. And um, I think maybe we, me, got a little hubristic in 15 and 16 because things weren't working. And we thought that we grew 30% a year organically for 10 years because we were geniuses. But I think it's maybe in retrospect because we were the tallest midget. You know, the alternative to us was buying servers and hiring consultants and spending three years installing enterprise software in the 21st century. That's ridiculous. So we won a lot. And lots and lots of people came on. Once that mandate went away, our growth rate dropped. And we thought it was because we weren't spending, you know, we were like, oh, this will work it out. But the stock foundered and then we missed a forecast. Really shouldn't have missed. And luckily it really created a short-term dip, a great entry point for, for Elliot. And Elliot showed up with a can of whoop ass and uh, opened it. <laughs> you go quickly through this, how dare you, you know, I, I care, I'm working for something that's larger than myself. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom told me so, like, who are you, and why is my board kind of not meeting my gaze anymore? Guys are like... <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, he said, look, the problem is Bush, and he's got to go, and we got to sell this thing, you know, time's up. But he also said the reasons why. We were very lucky. We had a really good board. We have a really good board. And uh, once they kind of wiped the blood off of the nose punch, we all went through everything that they had said, talked to all of our shareholders, and some of it really resonated. Yesterday, we're here on, what's today? February? Thursday, February 8th. We're on the 8th. Yesterday, you announced that Lord Jeff Immelt is joining the firm as oh, a... Lord as a, Jeffrey Immelt <laughs> is the soldier of the king. As your new chairman. He is the greatest guy. And the idea that the fates arranged a series of events that would make it possible to get Jeff Immelt as my chairman and personal coach is... Did you know him before? Everyone from the original staff of Athena remembers the time that we got to talk to him when he became CEO from being head of GE Healthcare. And it was like... He was paying attention to us. He listened to us. We made a case about how all of his devices should be connected to an internet-based thing. And he said, "That's great." That's, you know, it didn't go anywhere because we were like had 250 doctors, and he had you know 130 billion dollar company. But uh, 
it was just cool. We just had this cool experience. I was very supportive of our governor here, tried to help get GE'd come to Boston, and then when he stepped down, right as we're doing this search, I thought, wait a minute, he's, he's probably got a place in Boston. This is unbelievable. So we reached out and uh, got a meeting, gave him a tour. It was the coolest thing, giving him a tour. Two hours, we walked up and down the atrium, people popping out like, mm, I think I know. Like, and I'm like, what are you doing? And, and each one would come in like, they, there was something about the energy that he brings where they'd run off and come back with a big foam core board. Well, what we're gonna do next, Mr. Emelt, and they'd be like, I'm like, shit, they never did this for me. I just loved the enthusiasm that he created just on a two-hour walk around the building. And then we started having a series of dinners with board members. One of the board members had been acquired by GE, and uh, the acquisition had not gone well. Asked really hard questions, and God, the guy was just a prince about it. You know, owned. He always asks more questions than he sort of opines which I'm now working on, obviously unsuccessful in this setting, but. I'll play skeptic here. You've gone through this process, activist investor kicked you in the ass, said grow up and run a company. Yep, or get out. Or get out, yep. and then you, you bring in the guy from you know, the oldest, biggest traditional company. So how does Athena's culture, I mean, it sounds like Athena's culture is embracing him, but Athena's culture is widely known as being one of the most unique cultures you know, this in, is a really interesting. Of any industry, yeah, of any I, company I, I know. Let, let's, let's follow up in a year. What I have found of late, you know, and what made that restructuring and the big reduction in force and, and savings really feel right to me most of all was that employee engagement was declining. And the primary reasons, there were two, trust and leadership, which for me was devastating to see, and career progression. And we dug under it. And what it was was we kept reorging. We kept changing people's jobs to try to solve problems that weren't being solved. And the reason we were doing that was because problems weren't being solved. They used to be solved in a week, and then it was a month, and now it's two months. And people were like, I can't get enough done. If I stay late tonight, I'm not going to get any more done than if I leave now. So I'm going to get a dog, and I'm going to leave at eight, you know, four in the afternoon. And it just was bogging down. And it occurred to me that if we really want to preserve the mission, of turning this wonderful accomplishment with doctors into game stakes for creating healthcare's first platform company. We gotta learn to operate really well. We gotta learn to be efficient and reliable and we've gotta have an environment, a culture, where when you work extra hard, you get extra much done. And we've had that for years, but for 15 and 16, we didn't. I already feel the difference. I mean, you can't believe that cringeworthy shit we discovered when he spent six months doing nothing but looking at the way you operate. Mm. It's just humiliating, but thank God, you know. Can I ask you a question? So you sit here, you're a different Jonathan Bush today than you were, you know, five years ago, right? Same Jonathan Bush, of course. I, wish, I wish I could change. I already no, turned 40. No, but My I, shrink okay. told me once I turn 40, I just got to start accepting. So maybe a more subdued, a more reflective, maybe not. He's but on, my, He's on cold medicine. I know. My question is, how do you balance being sort of the new Athena leader, right? Because yeah. you're in a different era now, yep. with being the guy who also shakes up the industry. If you can't change, because you've already turned 40, get help. You know, so I have two EAs because I can't remember my name. You know, I have now a chairman, and I'm not the chairman. I wasn't a very good chairman. I was still in that entrepreneurial, like, how do I trick these people to spend five days a year with me? as opposed to these lucky sons of guns get to spend five days a year with Athena Health. You know, what are their assignments? What do they do? How are we, you know, having 
and you know, I'm embarrassed that I need someone else to point it out to me. Um, but the board gave me a beautiful talking to in July on the things that they needed to see, and I bought it. I needed a chairman, you know, someone to do nothing but governance, and I need a day-to-day. -day. I need a person to run the company day-to-day. -day. I love the weeds. I love them. And what I learned from Tom Skutak, who ran Amazon with Jeff Bezos for 13 years, is you can be in more weeds if you have someone who's covering the Misi picture. Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, everything needs to be managed, all of it. Not the things that are important to you, not things that are strategic, all of it needs to be managed. And if that's taken care of, you can go, you can, and he described this, I guess, one-click ordering was something that Jeff Bezos personally, like, was ballistic on, because it was two clicks or four clicks or a credit card. They just couldn't accept that all the silos had to be gone to do this one-click order thing, and Jeff was just not going to let go. And he describes this, and I'm like, that's me. <laughs> so I think that I have to accept that so you don't I'm, think you're not going to lose the shake up the industry. You've just delegated. You've, you've accepted other people are going to do other stuff. What I believe is that by accepting my limitations, I'm allowing Athena to not have them. I always said, I do not want this company to be a cult of personality, right? I want this thing to be larger than myself. Your whole crew, you're the last man standing, right? Uh, well, Todd's uh, Ed. Uh, actually, they're all standing very well. Thank no, you no, but you're the too. last person standing at Athena. I'm the last guy here. And you so. seem motivated by this new chapter of yeah. your leadership and growth, whereas they've gone off to do more entrepreneurial stuff. Or government. Or, well, they, yeah, they've both, they've done amazing things, oh, yeah. all of them. I mean, all of them, you know. They're all over, and they're doing great things. Yeah. I'll tell you, we, had a, we, we always have these retreats, although I think we, we do them a little less thanks to our restructuring. But... We went to this island in Maine, and we had my favorite professor from business school orientation, Nancy Kane, and she was actually our first person who signed up to be a board member. And she had us do this exercise, and one group of these original gangsters went off and wrote the headline. It was like, what are your fondest wishes for when this company, when you've arrived, when you look back in 20 years on Athena, what is the thing that matters the most to you to be true. And we came back, and one group did a newspaper cover. Another group did a Super Bowl ad. And another group, the top of the list was, Athena on your resume in 2010 is, this was 99 or whatever, is like McKinsey on your resume in 99. And it's kind of true. Um, it's cool. Steve always takes the opportunity in these to get a read on what he's focused on, which is liquidity events. So I'll do it for him this time. You okay. are one of the only companies that kind of grew up in the traditional venture tech route in healthcare. You talked about Teladoc. There's a handful of others. You're an angel investor. You're involved in a lot of these companies as an advisor, board member, putting money into them. What's the liquidity issue that Healthcare is facing. It's a huge market. You not many entrances not, or exits. exits. Not many great no, healthcare IT IPOs. IPOs and scaled companies. Well, of course, we've wrecked the whole notion of being public at some level. The regulation and the cost of being public. That's is, fair, but that's you know, fair. But then you know, enterprise there are, SaaS. There's there plenty. are, as you, I heard your podcast with Annie. There are half as many public companies today in any sector as there were when we went public in 2007. So. That in general, I mean, the big problem with medicine is the unintended consequences of our best fiduciary efforts as a society. I mean, fundamentally, we have created a healthcare system that would make a Soviet 
commissar, you know, smile from ear to ear. It is unbelievably controlled, unbelievably controlling. There are random policies that don't make sense. That makes it hard. If data gets liquefied, if the ability to see someone gets liquefied, and if the demand curve creeps back in, you're going to see just an I think an unbelievable explosion, unbelievable explosion of innovation and wealth I agree with this. created. And many beautiful institutions that have heretofore been considered untouchable will be gone. All right, we have like two minutes left. I'll say it again, I think you're one of the, the best entrepreneurs in our space and you'll cringe at that. But give us top three lessons learned over your now, what, 20 plus year career going from literally a startup entrepreneur to running a public company. Probably in reverse order. It's not now nor ever was about you. And it'll be very tempting occasionally to think that way. And as soon as you do, you are doing ill. That's the most important. If you get a company going, that's the most important thing to remember. You have to be focused on something vastly larger than what you have or you should sell. And try what isn't working longer than you think you can until Lady Luck knocks on the door. And when she knocks, open the door. <laughs> Love it. This is awesome. Thanks yeah. a lot, man. Thank you for taking oh, the time. It's a treat. I'm so I'd like excited to see you when you're not on drugs. the power of my medications. I feel fine. <laughs> I was shaking and feverish, and I popped a bunch of shit. And Start talking. I'm like, hey, that's, 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 what are we doing next? Who wants a beer? <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Healthy Dose. Please subscribe through iTunes, and if you have any suggestions for topics or guests, email the guys at steve at bvp.com or trevor at oxyandpartners.com. We do okay.